This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. Baptisms today be a huge blessing. We're going to get in the Word today, so if you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand? Our ushers would gladly put the Word of God in your hand, and um, we still preach the Word of God around here. We'll continue to stay in the Word of God and let God speak to you today, so... Uh, We will begin in the book of Matthew chapter 1, so I'm going to give you a little bit of time here. Go to Matthew 1, and while you're turning there, you know, I find oftentimes in life that, you know, it's very easy to live discouraged or even disappointed, and sometimes that's kind of how life is, that life isn't always fair, and many times the devil starts trying to do what I call identity theft, and he begins to get us where we start believing lies about ourselves. And then he goes ahead and he locks us in with that and we never fulfill God's plans for our lives. So we're gonna talk about that a little bit today about how God wants to to set you free and move in your life. So we begin in the book of Matthew chapter one, verse one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Uh, Jesus' family tree, his ancestry or, you know, I mean, if he lived in our world, he could go to Ancestry.com and figure it all out real quick. So when you start reading the bloodline of Jesus, there's some uh, really shady people in there. There's some disreputable people in there. But if we had time and went all the way through his genealogy there, you would see that there's 46 names that span 2,000 years. And I I love to look at these, and this is where a lot of this series here we're on, The Touch of God, comes from, just with people in his bloodline. And so we're going to keep reading here, and we're going to study just a little more, and it'll give you an idea where we're going today. Verse 2, Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Now, when you get here to Judah... If you'll notice, it says Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. The 12 tribes of Israel are based on Judah's brothers. And those are still in existence to this day. And so we know usually through scriptures that the greatest brother or the greatest son of Jacob was Joseph. But it's interesting, the bloodline of Jesus comes through Judah. So you have the thought immediately, man, Judah must have been this great man of God. Judah must have really had his stuff together. But you'll find out a little bit different here in Scripture. And you know, even the Bible says in Revelations 5 that Jesus was referenced as the lion of the tribe of Judah. So Jesus comes right through Judah. So we jump to verse number 3. Judah begot Perez, and Perez Zerar by Tamar, and Perez begot Hezron. So you begin to see here that Judah begot Perez and Zerar by their mother, whose name was Tamar. And you say, well, what does all this have to do? Well, that's a good thing that we're going to go there and find out. So go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 38. Genesis chapter 38. And what happens here in Genesis in this part, in the chapters of the 30s, You'll hear Joseph, 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 Joseph. And then all of a sudden, this entire chapter of Genesis 38 
It talks about Judah here. The, the whole in, entire chapter. And I'm going to highlight something here for you real quick because this chapter, Genesis 38, it's probably not a chapter that you want to read as a bedtime story to your children. And the reason I say that is because this chapter, I, I mean, it, it has some crazy, crazy, crazy things in it. It has some weird things in it. It has some bizarre things in it. But we're not going to skip over it, okay? I believe we really need to learn about this. And man, when we get into this, some of you are going to think, wow, that, that looks like it could be the headlines of the National Enquirer. I mean, this is something you would see on TMZ. And if you're a Jerry Springer fan, <laughs> this would be one of his top shows right here, okay? Crazy. But it's the Bible. Genesis 38, verse 1. Let's take off. And it came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adullamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he married her and he went into her. So when you get going here with, oh, Judah, one of the first things he does is he runs what I call a spiritual red light. He marries this daughter of Shua, who is a Canaanite. Now, remember last week when we talked about the Canaanites, Ruth, or not Ruth, but Rahab was a Canaanite. When you look in Jesus' bloodline, it lists four ladies. Rahab was Canaanite, Ruth was Moabite, Tamar was Canaanite, and Bathsheba was Israelite. So why said he runs a spiritual red light here? When you study the Canaanite religion, they were dominated by sexual sin. I mean, crazy stuff. But they also had a problem with drunkenness. So the reason I say he ran a spiritual red light, because I can't allow the culture I'm in to mold me, to shape me, my thinking, and even my actions. And it'll happen, okay? So he marries this, this Canaanite woman, verse 3. So she conceived and bore a son, and his name was Er. Verse 4, she conceived again and bore a son. His name was Onan. She conceived yet again, bore a son, called his name Shelah. And he was at Kazib when she bore him. That's where they lived. Okay, real fast through that. She had three sons. Verse 6, then Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Now, this was customs for the father to choose the the, the son's wife. Aren't you glad that didn't happen still? Just kidding, all right. Tamar was Canaanite, okay? That's why I'm highlighting this. This was another Canaanite woman. Verse number seven. But ere Judah's firstborn was wicked in the sight of the Lord. Doesn't say he was wicked in the sight of man. He was wicked in the sight of the Lord and the Lord killed him. Now he must have been pretty wicked for this to take place. So if we look into this, could Er have grown up getting mixed messages? And, and what I mean by that was we know Judah 
Man, he comes from the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He knows who Yahweh is. But his wife, this daughter of Shua, she's Canaanite. And so all the Canaanite knew was sexual sin and drunkenness. So did he grow up in that environment? And did he become a product of the environment he lived in? I think he did because this could be the reason that the Lord had him killed. He allowed the Canaanites to shape him instead of Father God in this situation. So right here off of this, the New Testament would say in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You know why? Because they'll divide your allegiance. They'll shift your loyalty from the things of God. And when we use that verse, don't be unequally yoked in unbelievers, the first one it emphasizes this with is in marriage. Don't marry someone who doesn't love God like you do. If you're contemplating marriage, you ought to really think about that, okay? Don't think you're exempt from that. The second area it highlighted was don't be unequally yoked even in your businesses. Don't go into business with an unbeliever. And the third one was in our daily relationships because what will happen, you will begin to drift from the things of God. And many people say, well, that'll never happen to me. Well, you're breaking the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not kid thyself. Some of you said, I thought there was just 10. Well, today there's 11. Verse eight. So Judah said to Onan, Son number two, go into your brother's wife and marry her. I underlined it that. Go into your brother's wife and marry her. That's crazy. That's pretty bizarre. That would be like looking at dad and say, you're kidding, aren't you, dad? But this was their social requirements at the time. This is all found in Deuteronomy 25. So he said, go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his. And it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he admitted on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother. Little bit of dysfunction here, wouldn't you say? Some crazy stuff. Now, a couple of things I want to highlight here, and some of you better be glad we're not at the Men of Iron or we would really highlight some things. Onan was okay with having the sex with her. He didn't have a problem with that. The problem is he had, he didn't just want to, he didn't want to be a daddy. But again, he didn't, he didn't shy away from the sexual part. And so watch what takes place with him. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore he killed him also. Because of his planned rebellion, I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to. Verse 11, then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah's grown, for he said, lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. Now what's going on here is literally Judah's procrastinating. 
He doesn't want son three marrying her. And it's pretty easy to see why. Number one heir, he's dead. Number two, Onan, he's dead. And number three, I don't want him marrying this crazy broad because I don't want him to die too. Verse 12. Now in the process of time, which was several years later, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died and Judah was comforter or he was in a place of mourning. And after the morning, he went up to his sheep shears at Timnah. He and his friend hired the Dolomite. And so he goes up to where his sheep are. He had a lot of animals, okay? Verse 13. But it was told Tamar, saying, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to share his sheep. Now, what this meant when he went to share his sheep, this meant these guys were going to have a pocket full of money. This was like harvest to the farmers, this was a big time to him. Verse 14. So she took off her widow's garment, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself and sat in an open place which was on the way to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown and she was not given to him as a wife. So when Judah saw her, he thought that she was a harlot because she had covered her face, which was the Canaanite religion right there. That's exactly what they did. But it's interesting here what takes place. Verse 16. Then Judah turned her by the way and said, please let me come to you. He propositions her. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. Crazy. This is some crazy stuff. So she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? Now, Judah was more than willing to pay for the night on a town. He, he was okay with doing this. And what's the matter with a little sin? Just long as it's ever now and then. And he's got this thought, I'm in Timnah, and who will ever know? Because you know what happens in Timnah stays in Timnah. So Judah's okay. What, what do I need to do? Verse 17, and he said, I will send a young goat from the flock, which was a high possession then. So she said, will you give me a pledge till you send it? I, I, I need something to authenticate this. What pledge shall I give you? So she said, get your signet, your cord, your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. So what he gives to her nowadays would be very similar to us given, here's my passport, here's my social security, here's my driver's license. But the interesting thing on their staff, it would have these markings or these carvings that would identify them that when someone saw those markings, they knew it would very, uh, it'd be very similar to nowadays with a rancher than when he has a certain brand on a cattle. So if, if, I saw John's cattle and I saw that brand on him. I'd say, well, that's John's. I know that brand. Well, this is what was taking place. Now, I'm going to read real quick the next few verses till I get, get somewhere real quick. So hang here with me. Verse 19, so she arose, went her way, laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Dolomite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. 
Then he asked the men of that place saying, where's the harlot who was openly on the roadside? And they said, there was no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also the men of the place said, there was no harlot in this place. Then Judah said, let her take them, the things I gave to her for herself, lest we be shamed for I sent this young goat and have not found it. So it came to pass after three months, after that Judah was told saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. Furthermore, is she was with child by harlotry. She acted like a prostitute's what told him. He shouldn't be shocked by this, okay? The reason I say this is because that was part of the Canaanite religion. Sexual immorality was just part of it. So he should have known that because when I think about this, it should be very predictable what she was going to do. And the reason I highlight that is because of this. If I didn't have Jesus in my life, the patterns of sin in my life would be very predictable. Right now. And so even in my life, the only thing that has changed me is Jesus, okay? And that's the only thing that will change any of us. Now I can safely stand here before you and I can say this, if I wouldn't have given my heart to Jesus and got born again, I would be either one of two places. I would either be in prison or I would be dead. Is there anybody else in here who would say that would probably be me? Why? Because I gave Jesus my heart. Something happens when we give Jesus our heart. So he hears that his daughter-in-law is pregnant because she played the heart of a harlot. The end of verse 24. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. What she did is wrong. How dare her embarrass or shame our family in this way. But while he was saying, take her out and burn him, he's concealing his own sin at this time. And the only difference between his sin and her sin is her sin was public displayed. His was still hidden. And so when I read this here, was Judah more concerned about what people thought about him or was he more concerned with what God knew about him? Burner. Burner. Verse 25. When she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law saying, by the man whom these belong, I am with child and she said, please determine whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Now, can you imagine the look on Judah's face? She throws out that cord. She throws out his staff and he sees those marking and he realizes, it's me. And it would be like me standing here 
accusing many of you or throwing stones at you while right behind me on the big screen, all my sins are flashing up. So Judah here, he's got some issues. He's got some sin in his life that has now been exposed. Look at verse 26. Now this is huge that we get this. So Judah acknowledged them. Judah acknowledged them. The word acknowledged, it literally means to confess. Acknowledge, confess, confess, acknowledge. So he literally confesses right here or he acknowledged his wrongdoing. Now, not only does he acknowledge this, can you imagine the guilt, the shame, and the embarrassment of every bit of this? Can you imagine people looking at him and saying, what kind of goofball would get his daughter-in-law pregnant? But something happens here when Judah acknowledges. And in Matthew 10, the Lord Jesus said this. He said, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before the Father. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. Something happens when human beings begin to acknowledge and confess their sin before God and also before other people. Now, it's not my job to confess your sins. It's not for me to say, hey, have you guys known what John's done the last few days? That's not for me. But something happens when I do that. So 1 John 1, 9, the Lord Jesus said, if you'll confess your sin, if you'll acknowledge them, God will forgive you and he'll cleanse you. But a great one is James 5, 16. When we confess our sins to one another, our faults and our downfalls, God said not only would he forgive us, he would heal us. In the Passion Translation, where it says if we would confess, it says if we would acknowledge them. If we would acknowledge them to each other. A couple of years ago, I had a guy in the church. He's still right here in the church. He came to the first service, stayed around for the second service, and after everybody had gone home, I was in here, and he came walking in. He said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. He said, I've blown it. He said, I've blown it. I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this. And it took a robe of humility to do what he did. And I looked at him and I said, you just operated in James 5, 16. You confessed and acknowledged your sin to another man. And the Lord said, not only will he forgive you, he'll heal you. And I said, let's just believe God. God will go to work. And I saw the word of God go to work in this guy. So Judah acknowledges, now look what he says here. She is born more righteous than I because I did not give her to Shelah, my son, and he never knew her again. So again, how in the world did Judah end up in Jesus' bloodline? 
Why wasn't he disqualified? But the truth is the matter is left to our own desires. We can and we have self-destructed just like Judah did. And the self-righteous will laugh, they'll mock, and they'll ridicule this because looking in the mirror doesn't work for the self-righteous. But something begins to happen when I acknowledge what God's done in my life and I repent for the faults of it, but I say, Father God, I welcome the God who still takes messes and makes miracles. Now go with me to the book of Romans chapter three. Romans chapter three. See, I told you there's some crazy things in this. And you know, every one of us have some dysfunction in our lives. I mean, every one of us have stuff that, man, at the family reunion, we don't talk about that. Oh, no, no, no. Don't bring up here, Uncle Larry. No, don't bring that up. Why? Because that's weird. That's crazy. That was what was in Jesus' bloodline. But there's a couple truths here this morning I want you to see. Romans 3, verse 9. What then? Question mark. Are we better than they? Question mark. Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all, A-L-L, all under sin. Every one of us are under the bondage of sin, whether we're a Gentile, Greek, or Jew. And if you're not a Jew, then you're a Greek. And so when I look at that, that's what's made up of Jesus' bloodline. And if you'll notice there, he said, all. All are under sin. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not even one. That always does what's right. Now, if we kept reading all the way through verse 18, Paul lists 14 truths that I believe pertain to every one of us in here. But right here, He lets us know that all people were all guilty. Every one of us in here are guilty. Turn a couple pages to Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For as, one, for as by one man's disobedience many made sinners, that's because what Adam did. And what Adam did. Every one of us here, when we're born into this world, we come in here with a sin nature. I don't. Yes, you do. You know how I know that? It's because none of us in here have to go take classes on how to learn to sin. How many of you, when you were in elementary, you said, hey, I, I got to go to Lion, Lion 101. You start getting a little older. Hey, I'm going to advance Lion None of us ever had to be taught how to sin because it's our sin nature. But you know what? I don't have to be dominated by my sin nature. Watch what he says next. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And so that was only through the Lord Jesus. The only way that I'm made righteous or in right standing with God is because of Jesus. So it all goes back to what he said to Nicodemus in John 3, you gotta be born again. That's the starting, but that's not the ending point. I gotta be born again. I gotta give my heart to Jesus. 
Keep reading. Moreover, the law entered that offenses might abound or sin would become obvious. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. God's grace has surpassed sin much more. Verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign. Now look at this. Through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Two throughs. Through righteousness and through the Lord Jesus. The only way I become righteous or in right standing in God's eyes is through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5. I am the righteousness of God through Christ. Old things have passed away. Old things become new. I'm a new creature. But the only way I experience eternal life is through Jesus. Everything he talked about goes back where sin abounded, grace abounded that much more. You know how you get born again? You get saved by grace through faith. So when I read this passage here and have to ask myself this question, why is Judah in Jesus' bloodline? It's all because of a thing called amazing grace. Amazing grace. And God specializes in cases just like Judas. That we may have discouragement. And we may have dysfunction. But it doesn't eliminate us to the things of God. And right now the devil may be whispering in your ear, you blew it. You did it. You messed up. But something happens when I, as a human being, make the choice to say, Father God, I acknowledge everything I did. And I welcome you today as I confess to cleanse me, to heal me, to, to make my life into something for you. What I like to say, he still takes messes and makes miracles. Why don't you stand up here with me? I don't know where you're at today with the Lord. Only you do that. But I do believe our God is a God who still restores. I believe our God still saves. I believe his mercies are still new every day. I believe that God never gives up on us. He never quits on us. He never stops pursuing us. But what would happen today if we said, Father God, I need a fresh touch. I need a fresh touch of grace on me. You may be in discouragement today. You may be disappointed today. You may have the thought, man, my, my bloodline's crazier than Judas. God wants to move here today. So I'm reading this passage here. And the Lord begins to deal with me on my heart, just like he did with Judas. And he said, do you have secret closets in your life that only God knows about? Do you have a secret room in your life, a room in your heart, a closet in your heart? 
that only God knows about. And God didn't identify Judah's sins to beat him up, to embarrass him, to shake. He uses those things to change our identity, to say, man, God's for me. God wants to bless me. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head right there where you're at. And if you're here today, and man, any of these things I've talked about have, have been identity theft to you. And you sense God tugging at your heart today. That's not me doing that. That's God doing that. Or he said, I still want to take a mess and make a miracle, but you must respond to me today. Something happens when I come before mankind. And I'm not telling you I'm going to put a megaphone in your hand and you're going to have to tell everything, all the people everything you've done. But I do believe it's a surrender today where I say, Father God, I've made a mess of me again. I'm going to have our team, they're going to sing right now. And I, I welcome you to come down here. I'm telling you, I, I believe God's here in incredible ways that he wants to touch your life. Don't miss an opportunity today, okay? Go ahead, guys. Sing. Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.